stories don't define you, how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. In my work with coaching clients, I guide people to improve their communication using storytelling as the foundation of our work together. What I've realized over years of coaching and podcasting is that the majority of people don't realize the impact of the stories they share on their internal messages and on the people they're sharing them with. What really lights me up is guiding executives and uncovering the stories in their lives that are meaningful. The stories that, when shared with the right audience in the right way, connect, inspire, and motivate. Here's what a former client had to say about our work together. As a leader of leaders, I struggle with how and when to use my stories to emphasize the points my audience is looking for. It's a delicate balance between sounding like I'm bragging and delivering a message that needs to be heard. Sarah's approach to storytelling clears that obstacle so that you can deliver a clear and concise message using your stories to emphasize your points. It's truly amazing when it all comes together. Greg McDonough, Blackburn Capital Advisors, and president of the Entrepreneurs' Organization of Washington, D.C. Visit elkinsconsulting.com to learn more about working with me. I am so fortunate to be joined today by Tammy Schrader. And um, the reason I reached out to her was that I was researching TEDx's in my area that I could attend or potentially apply to speak at. And I went straight to TEDx Spokane because it's one of the bigger cities within a reasonable drive from Helena, Montana. And I watched the previous um, TEDx that they had done in 2019, I believe. And I started listening to the different TEDx's and oftentimes I'm multitasking. So I was kind of listening and kind of doing my thing and listening. And then Tammy started speaking. Her, hers came up on the YouTube channel and I stopped what I was doing to listen to her TEDx. It just spoke to me in such a big way, partly because of the way that she described herself, that she was older and not particularly tech savvy, and she was teaching in the classroom, and how she addressed the shifts in how children learn in order to serve her children of her classroom. And to me, that is the most noble and inspiring kind of teacher. And the fact that you were able to move from that to inspire and help other teachers grow in this way just moved me. So Tammy, thank you so much for joining me on your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Well podcast. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. And that is a great introduction, and I, I'm flattered beyond words because you're right. It's always about the story, and my story is always about kids. <laughs> Which is just, you know, of course, that's dear to my heart. I didn't actually want to have children. My plan was not to have children. So um, the idea of me having children was kind of bizarre, um, but then I'm kind of impulsive as well. So once I decided to have children, it, that's what we did. But um, you have two children, and so I understand a lot of times that comes from having your own children, but people even without children sometimes have that kind of motivation and desire to, to grow people in beautiful ways. So that said, I always ask my guests to share something about themselves that most people don't know. And I do that so that our listeners have some context for the stories they're going to hear later on in the podcast. So what do you think? Can you share something? Um, I, I can't. So I live my life by these five little words. <clears throat> and these five little words, my husband has told me, and we've been married 38 years. Wow. And he has told me, you know, when you utter these five words, Tammy, I know that crazy is going to move in with us <laughs> and stay for a while. And I, I didn't believe him. You know, when your husband tells you things and you go, oh, yeah, that's just you and, you know, whatever until I was working in a building one day and I must have said these words to my principal because he says, Oh, I hate it. When you say that, it means things are going to get crazy around here. And I thought, Oh, well then maybe my, <laughs> my husband has some credibility. Uh, but the five little <laughs> words are how hard can it be? You know? Um, and I cannot, 
I cannot tell you how many roads those five words have have led me down and um, taken me to places. Um, and then my husband loves to, he says, Tammy, he says, I love to watch it because you'll zoom ahead and you won't even be paying attention. It's like, I'm doing this thing. And he said, and then you'll get out in the middle of it and you'll look around and go, what am, what am I doing here? Like, here? how the hell did I get here? How did I get, that's exactly, well, that was what, that's exactly what he says, actually. <laughs> and, then it says, and the only person that doesn't know how you got there is you. Like everybody else is just watching you. And it's almost like you don't, pit, it's like you don't get it. But anyway, so yes, how hard could it be? That's the motto I live my life by. Well, I think that's a perfect answer, partly because I can so relate to it. And if my husband listens to this episode, he's going to say, Oh, you are never getting together with this woman. <laughs> Danger zone right here. <laughs> I love that. So um, that said, did that play a role in your application to be a TED speaker? You know what? I think I think so. And here's and so here's my story of being a TEDx speaker. Uh, I teach an adjunct a class at Whitworth. Again, how hard can it be, right? And what's really funny, that's the story. I mean, that's the story too, right? I was asked by a gentleman at Whitworth because I'm a science coordinator for 59 school districts. And he said, can you come talk to me about, we need somebody to adjunct. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, he wants me to go there and, and find the right fit for him. But so I say, yeah, I can meet with you. And after we're done meeting, he's like, okay, well, it starts on Wednesday, blah, blah. I, I said, I'm I'm sorry. Wait, what? I, you want me to do it? Like, like I don't always get what's happening. And he said, Tammy, I think it'd be perfect. And I said, How hard can it be? Sure. So I start adjuncting this science method, elementary science methods class at Whitworth. And one of my young students who I loved, I mean, I love them all. I fall in love with them. You and you probably know that about me. Whenever I teach, I fall in love with people and then I own them forever. Like I'll watch anything forever. Like I'll just make sure they're all okay. All my little chicks or something. Anyway, this one girl comes up to me um, at break and it was about halfway through the course. And she said, you know, I work um, with the people at TEDx Spokane. And she said, you would, you would be perfect. And I said, huh? Uh, not, mm, I just, mm, I don't know. She goes, come on, Tammy. And I, and of course, how hard can it be? So I said, okay, so I feel, <laughs> I filled out the application and I went and I auditioned, which I didn't, I mean, I don't know you have to do any of this. I just fill out the application. Then you audition and I was selected to be the alternate that year, oh. the 2019. Yes. And that's okay. You know, whenever I don't get selected, I never, you know, I just always feel like, you know what, however life plays out is how it plays out. And um, I'm okay with that. And then the next year came along, 2020, and my husband said to me, are you going to apply again? I said, you know, I don't think so. I think that was fun. It was exciting. Auditioning alone. I mean, you're standing on a stage and the lights are coming at you and the audition alone unnerved me. Like I can't see into the audience. I'm trying to talk to them, but those lights and it's bright. And I'm a little bit um, like, okay, this is my limit. I think this might be it. But anyway, so when I wasn't selected, I thought, okay, that's, you know, that's the way the world works. And, but I had decided I probably wasn't going to re-audition. I, you know what? I think I'm, I'm okay in my world. Right. And then the, the, one of the gentlemen that runs TEDx Spokane called me. And he said, hey, Tammy, we want to offer you a spot. And I said, you know, Michael, I just you are so kind, but I don't know that I, I'm just not sure where I am with it. He goes, no, no, we, we're not going to have you audition or anything. We're just going to give you a spot, give you the spot. And I said, OK, OK, because okay, that's a different game now. We're Right. Game. Now it's and meant I, to be. Yeah. Now it's OK. So I said, yeah, OK, I'll do it. And so he says, and I'm going to be your coach. And I said, great, because Michael's fabulous. And I, I said, OK. Um, and then the pandemic. And again, universe plays out, doesn't it? And so they emailed me and they said, you know, we can do one of two things. You can get an automatic spot in 2021. But of course, the world, we don't know if the world's going to open up or we can put it on video. And I said, I'm I'm just going to get it done. I wrote I wrote it. How how hard can it be? I'm going to get it done. So then I go, then I go to talk and I'm this long story and I apologize. I go to talk and I'm supposed to be number third. I've seen my name. I'm third on the agenda. And that's where you want to be. You want to kind of watch other people and and then I'm going to go. And they came up to me and they're like, Hey, Tammy, we're just going to put you on first. (laughs) 
And I said, <laughs> but I was, but I was third on the agenda. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and she says, I know, but you, can you just go? And ready. I said, sure. But this was practice. And again, I'm thinking, right. no big deal. Nobody in the audience, by the way, there's just four of us that are going to practice. Right. Because so I, it's a pandemic. A pandemic. So I practice right. and I get the feel on the stage and I start feeling like, okay, this is just nothing more than telling a story. That's all we're doing. Just telling the story. Exactly right. You know, and, um, and it was super fun. And so Saturday came along and of course everybody got to invite one person seated, you know, throughout safe the distance. and the lady comes over to me and she goes, Hey, you're on first. And I <sighs> said, no, I'm pretty sure I'm third. And she said, yeah, but we want you to set the tone. Like, you know, I said, oh, okay. Oh, like, wow. and again, how hard can it be? Mic it up. So we mic'd up and, um, and my husband is so cute and funny. He is so funny. He says to me, have fun. And I look wow. over at the table and I say to him, what? And he goes, this was supposed to be fun. Remember, Tammy, just go tell the story. And I'm like, oh, so that was so helpful because I get on there and I'm thinking I was just here to have fun. It was always about having fun, um, and which I did. So I hope that came across on the TEDx talk. Yes, well, absolutely it did. You seemed very comfortable and confident on the stage. I mean, there is there's always going to be some level of nervousness that is always right. going to happen. But you presented beautifully. That's why I reached. I didn't reach out to anyone else. You're the only one I asked. And you are uh, so sweet. Well. I don't know if I would go there. <laughs> I'm I'm a very nice person, but sweet has never really been that kind of word for me. But not your superpower, huh? Not my superpower because <laughs> I'm pretty direct and sometimes a little oblivious, but not super sensitive sometimes. But um, what I loved about your story was exactly what I said in the introduction, which was that you adapted. Clearly, if I don't know, have you taken the Strengths Finder assessment? I have years ago. Okay. So and I don't remember have. them. So please don't ask me. But well, I, I won't. But I'm, I'm telling you, in your top 10, you have adaptability and activator guaranteed. And part of what that means is that you switch gears really easily. When something comes up in your path, you don't stop to examine it. You don't stop to see what other obstacles you might hit. You just find a way around it. Because if you can't control that obstacle, you're going to decide to do something a little different where other people may stop for a little bit and try to figure out what the obstacle is, maybe figure out how to overpower it. But people with adaptability kind of innately understand what they have control over, what they don't have control over. And so they just make the adjustment. Um, and you probably have strategic up there as well for the same reason that you have a tendency to just kind of see how to get from point A to point B and then you go with it, and then you decide when you hit an obstacle what to do about it. Meanwhile, you and I probably have similar husbands where our husbands are like, well, you're probably going to hit this obstacle and this obstacle and this. And we're like, okay, good to know. Thanks. Zoop, we're gone, right? Yeah. So, um, but what I loved most about the whole story was your adaptability in it, that as a teacher, I, I've experienced really good teachers and really poor teachers like everyone else in their lives because we've Mm -hmm. had a lot of teachers in our lives by the time we reach 40 50 60 years old and the best ones are the ones that understand change happens you cannot keep your classroom the same all the time because children are changing i remember at 22 looking at 17 year olds and thinking they are far ahead of where I was at 17. And that was only five years later. Right. right? That's totally so, true. And by the time I'm 30, I'm looking at 15 year olds and they remind me of me at 20 mm-hmm. because kids are growing up earlier, but not necessarily well. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. And they have access to more information than I ever did in the drop at the drop of a hat. And I never did. I mean, I remember when I was in calculus, if you wanted to know the tangent of a number, you had to look it up in the back of the book. Now you push a button on your on your on your phone, right? Right. Everything's accessible quite quickly. Exactly. So yeah. tell me about um when you were teaching probably early on or maybe even as a student teacher. 
when you realized that this was the way you had to go, I mean, I just, I have a feeling that this was early on in your teaching career that you knew. Um, So, so here's the story. I became a teacher at I think 30 or 31 because before I became a teacher, I much like we were, you and I were talking about, I, um, I said I was, I came from a family of 12. I have 11 siblings, all the same mom, all the same dad, big family. So when I was young, I said, I don't want children and I don't want to be married. Like I'm tired of everybody being always there. I just want some alone time. <laughs> no kidding. Where, where in the age range were you? I'm number 11 of 12. So I'm the youngest daughter and I have a little brother. Oh my goodness. That's a lot of sibs. It is a lot. And you know what? I've never, ever wished to not have this huge family. They're lovely. It's lovely. Even now, it's lovely. Although I will say when we get together, and boy, if they hear this podcast, but you get any amount of siblings together and it's everybody's talking, nobody's listening. And it is a three ring circus. Like it's a circus. And it you just and you just roll with it. <laughs> that's why your adaptability is in high demand <laughs> you just you just make it work and we're all very different yet we're all very you know we're all very committed to each other but um so when I was out of high school I went I actually went to work um I met the love of my life who is still with me but I met him young and I always like why am I doing this because I don't want to be married and he really said okay I'll wait and he did. And he he's a lovely man. Um, he just waits for all my crazy to stop. Um, but we moved to Southern California because he was from there. So I worked for a NASA contractor on, on like the shuttle program and, and wow. rocket programs. So when I stepped in to be a teacher, um, we left Southern California when my daughters were born. We didn't, it, it was just, we wanted to raise them in a tiny, tinier experience. Right. Um, so we moved to Cheney, Washington, which is right near Spokane. And, um, and it, and it's been lovely here. Uh, so my kids grew up in a smaller community where everybody knows everybody else, which I said, I would never do that again after having grown up in a tiny town. But, um, the bottom line is when I stepped into a classroom, I didn't under, I, I just didn't understand that everything disconnected. Right. So I remember, um, a student of mine, she was an eighth grader and I was teaching eighth grade earth science. And she came in and she's like, I don't understand what well, we have to memorize the preamble to the constitution of the United States. Cause that's what's happening. And so I said, Oh, so I recited it for her. And she said, how do you remember that? I said, because, well, first of all, schoolhouse rock, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's the only reason I knew any of it. <laughs> that is the only reason I know. But I, I said, you know, I said, I don't, I, that's kind of, that kind of stuff is real important. You know, that, that constitution and guaranteed rights. And, and because when we are talking about science, um, do we have the right to colonize Mars? Or do we have the right to take over other countries? Or do we have the right for them to come take over what we've got going on? And right, so so rules kind of apply to everybody. And, and those are our rules. And you should kind of know them. And she looked at me and it was really cute. Her name was Jackie. Well, it probably still is Jackie, but she's probably in her 30s right now. And she says to me, so you mean to tell me all this stuff is connected to everything else? And I said, yeah, pretty sure it is. Pretty sure. Like, Whoa, that is a brilliant young woman. It, she's brilliant young woman. Uh, well, they all are right. They're all brilliant in their own <laughs> they way. Have their own. Um, and, and anyway, so my point is when I started teaching, um, I, education surprised me. I was shocked that teachers taught in isolation because at NASA, you don't do anything in isolation and everybody checks everybody else at least five or 10 times, right? You don't just hope that you get it right the first time and that the shuttle goes up with no issue. That's just not how the world works. And so I remember the first day in a classroom, my principal comes in to check on me because I'm a brand new teacher. Of course, I'm in my 30s. So I'm pretty, I, I'm feeling like I'm pretty, I got, I can, like, I don't, what, what can the kids do? Right. And they come in and <laughs> how hard could this be? How can our, how hard can it be? And he says something about, okay. And I said, so I'll see you later today. And he said, why would I come back? And I said, you're just going to leave me and hope I know what I'm doing. And he goes, well, that's kind of how it works. Okay. Okay. Cause that's not how it worked in my world. In my world, people checked on each other regularly and, and that was just expected. And so let me just, just, um, yeah, have this fine distinction here. Checking on someone is not the same thing as micromanaging them. No, it's making sure that they have the resources and the understanding, the clear understanding of expectations and what's necessary, not to micromanage yeah. them to death. So I just wanted to make sure that that decision yeah. was in there. Yeah, I just thought, well, somebody's going to come in and check on me and make sure 
okay, I've got it. I've got it. And the kids are safe and, and things are going okay. Or they're, you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. But they didn't. And um, so that was different in education to me. But I remember when we, when we did one of our first units on rocket launching, right? Because you're talking about Newton's first, second, third laws, and we're we're launching rockets, and <laughs> and it's a school wide activity because they get stuck in the tree, and the custodian has to get them down. And they weren't very happy with me for the first <clears throat> couple months. But they were like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I don't know how else to teach this, right? You you they have to see it. They have they to have feel to see it. it. They, they have, have to, to smell the sulfur it. of the yeah. burning." Yeah. And anyway, it was just, it, it was teaching was the best job I ever had. It's just, it's so fun. And, and, and I love it because, you know, even now I look back and kids taught me so much more than I ever taught them ever. And they're not afraid of it. They weren't afraid of it. Like they're not afraid of stuff. Whereas I was, uh, so could I just give you this story? Cause it makes Please, me laugh. That's time. why you're Speaking here. Of, speaking of technology and this is the thing I didn't get to say in the TED talk you know right so I have a lack of equipment education has a lack of equipment so I wrote a grant to get a microscopic uh it was a oh gosh you hook it up and kids can see what's going on underneath the the scope right Mm -hmm. and and I get one of these and I'm trying to hook it up and the kids are busy doing some measurement and stuff with math and they no, look and they're like, what, what year this is seventh graders, seventh, seventh graders. graders. Okay. Middle school. Okay. And they're like, uh, Ms. Schrader, can we help you with that? This is painful to watch. And I said, <laughs> I, I, am 40, I am 40 years old. I can man. It's only, and it only had two cords and I'm not even kidding <laughs> at two cords, but it was just like this big thing. And it took me 45 minutes. But my favorite thing is when I got it to work, it was a document camera. That's what the, I'm sorry. They hardly use them anymore. And the kids gave me a standing ovation. They were <laughs> <laughs> because you were persistent. You, you are, are not doing this for me. And don't you dare. Right. Um, and I, well, and I, I do have to tell you that when I started to work on games in education, I hooked up an Xbox in my classroom so that kids could come help me learn to play. And I'm telling you, if, you, if you've never seen anything that just makes you the kids were hilarious and I said to them here's the thing you have to be gracious because when you guys don't know stuff that I know I'm really gracious that we don't we don't do the because this is scary for me so they'd come in before a class and the whole all these classes would come in from the hall to watch me because I was so bad it was so bad (laughs) and and little destiny one day she says these are eighth though these are seventh graders again little destiny goes you know Miss Schrader I'd tell you to pick an easier game but I don't think they make them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she wasn't but she was so sincere she was just right like, she wasn't trying to be insulting they were not they were trying to help me and it was so funny because I bought a it was Harry Potter because I at least know the storyline I figure okay at right. least I know the storyline I may not know how to manage a game but I can but at least I'll know what I'm supposed to be doing right? right because I kind of understand the story and I'm trying to make this character jump and the kids are all yelling at me, Miss Schrader, jump, 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 jump. And I'm like, I know I have to jump. I don't know how to make this machine jump. Right, right. So they're trying to help me. And and my other favorite story is little little Liam. And I shouldn't say little because he was almost, he's taller than I am. Like he, uh, you know. Yeah. And at one point he goes, hey, Miss Schrader, there's the bell. I have to go now. And you need to shut it off. And I looked up at him and I, and I don't remember anything else. And he took it out of my hand. <laughs> And he shut it off <laughs> later. I said to him, Liam, how'd you know to do that? And he goes, oh, Miss Schrader, you weren't like, you were not understanding a thing I was saying. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I wasn't, I was stressed to the max over a silly, but, it, but I, it was like, my brain was fried. Anyway. Well, you know, I love that you told that story. That's an important story because my guess, and he probably couldn't have said this because he didn't actually know he's been there. And it's not just stress, it's that obsessive, compulsive game playing that we all get into that addictive, I need to do this. Um, And so he has, he probably didn't put it together, but he had experienced that and somebody had done that for him and said, I'm taking this down now and you're going to go outside and go for a walk. Yeah, he and he was so cute and so kind. Oh. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was so kind. And then later, it was funny. Um, weeks went by, and 
I was supposed to meet him every morning. And I said, I only play for 15 minutes because my brain, I, I just can't do it. It just, I cannot do this. Right. This, this, I get anxious and I, and, and upset and frustrated. And, you know, I know there's my limit. Right. <clears throat> so I had started avoiding him for a while, <laughs> like making up meetings to go to in the morning. <laughs> what? <laughs> Totally true. You know, but it, but it really gives you. Here's the thing I learned: it gives you empathy for kids that don't like certain classes because it stress it stresses them out and it frustrates, them, right? And so you get to be in that space and go, oh, this is how kids feel when they walk in and they don't know something, and then they can't. You know what I mean? So right. so it's good to walk in that space. But I remember one morning I walked up and he's walked up to me and he looked down at me because he's real tall and he says. I know what you're doing. And I looked up and I said, what are you talking about, Liam? He goes, you're finding a bunch of stuff to do in the morning. So you don't have to do this. <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. And it was really funny because he was kind of, he was kind of talking to me in a serious tone, but he wasn't, he's a cute kid. He would. And right. and what happened is another, again, not being insulting. Yeah, he was just, another teacher heard well, him and his thought feelings were hurt too. Yeah. And thought he was kind of yelling at me. But he wasn't. But the other teacher walked up and said, uh, I don't think you can talk to, like like let's. And and I looked and I said to the other teacher, no, no, he's right. And 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 he said, what? And I said, no, he's right. I'm avoiding him. <laughs> <laughs> and Liam's like, Mrs. Schrader, we have to work this out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. cutest kid ever. Cute. And these kids were so cute. They were so cute and they were so kind. And. Anyway, it was that was a great, it, but it's a good experience to put kids in the driver's seat because you know they know a lot, and if we would just let them know a lot and acknowledge when they're right and acknowledge when they're right, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember the first time I had to really apologize to our older son because I said something hurtful, yeah. and I remember um, I said to him, "Honey, I'm I'm sorry that." that came out really hurtful and I didn't intend for it to be hurtful like that. And I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. And I remember the expression on his face of, it was a mixture of relief that I didn't mean it because I, you know, it was something yeah. that hurt his feelings and that he knew that this was a genuine apology and that I hadn't meant it the way that it came out. Yeah. Um, and then he said, so what did you mean? Because he wanted some clarity around it. And I yeah. said, well, what I meant was sometimes this is how this comes across when you do it. And I'm concerned that you know, you're, you are maybe heading in the wrong direction, but I didn't need to be mean in telling you that. Yep. Good for you. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard because you kind of want to be the, the right one. And kids are looking to you to be right. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes we forget how important it is that they're right too, <laughs> and that yeah. it's not a competition. Well, and the cool thing is that not only are they they right, they're just trying to figure it out. And I'm sorry, but at 13 years old, that's what you're trying to. That's what you're supposed to be trying to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I know at 58, I don't have all the answers, um, and I can barely deal with most of the questions. Okay. But when I look at at kids trying to manage things, it's like they're just trying to figure things out, you know? Mm-hmm. And and you're right. That's our job to be the guardrail. Like, okay, yeah, you can do this. You can light it on fire, but you can't. But you have to be wearing <laughs> safety goggles when you And do we it. have to have, yeah, we have to have a fire extinguisher. Waiting. <laughs> I mean, let's do it wisely, right? right. If we can do it all, right. let's but do it. But absolutely, you can light that. <laughs> but absolutely light the fire. Oh, yeah. You know, I love that you just said that because um, our older son and his best friend made um, a mortar launcher uh, of um, two Pringles cans duct taped together. So they had cut off the bottom of one of the Pringles cans. So it would be long and duct taped them together, poked a hole at the bottom of the bottom one and stuffed a foam football into the top and filled the bottom with butane. Don't ask me how they got a can of butane because they were like 12. I don't know who sold them a can of butane or if they took it from somebody's house. Hey, you know what? what? How hard can it be? Yeah, how hard can Find it be? Find butane. Yeah. So um, my husband and I are sitting at the dining room table, not 30 feet, not even 
probably 20 feet from where they are in the TV room. And my husband was like, what's that smell? I, I smell something. <laughs> Meanwhile, okay, so a little background. It's January. It's like negative six degrees outside here in Montana. And our house is built in 1890 with lath and plaster. So it's basically we're living in a tinderbox, right? So my husband smells this smoke, whatever, something burning. And all of a sudden, we hear and kind of get a glimpse of the three boys, our boys, um, the, the older son, the younger son, and the best friend running up the stairs into the bathroom and close the door, all three of them in the bathroom. And it's not a big bathroom. And we hear the water running. So Bob goes upstairs and, and he knocks on the door. He's like, boys, everything okay? Nothing. Um, no. Okay, what's going on? Nothing. Is everything okay? It's fine. And it's like these three, the chorus of voices. Meanwhile, the water's running. Bob opens the door because there's no lock on our bathroom door. And the best friend is rinsing his eyes because... We found out the butane had, didn't light. And so the best friend in all his 12-year-old brilliance blew into the hole. And it, oh, no. the fire blew into his face. Yeah. And it's, of course, Pringles oil from the, the oh, chip. So he had actually singed his eyelash. <laughs> Thank oh, God he was okay and didn't do any permanent damage. But he had the oil burning oil on his skin. And so he was washing his face. Yeah. Anyway, of course. Yeah. So our lesson to them though, was exactly what you just said, which was, why would you do that in our house? And they're like, well, and apparently Max, the younger one says, guys, I don't think this is a very good idea, but they did it anyway, of course, even though the youngest says this. <laughs> and the irony is that we said to them, we've never said no to an experiment. We've never said no to an experiment. So why didn't you just ask us? We would have bundled up and gone outside. We have this huge blacktop of an elementary school right in front of our house and snow. Yeah. And you could have just asked us. We would have put on safety goggles and we would have done it outside. Yeah. Safely. Safely. Well, in a way, yeah. Safely. <laughs> yeah. As safe as it could be with butane and a mortar launcher. <laughs> you know, I, and kids, I tell you, so. So, okay, so can I tell you my story? My eighth, yes, my eighth graders, my eighth graders, and we're at the end of the year and they're going to go to eighth grade celebration. And the administration says, you know what? If you guys get in trouble now, you don't have time to get off the, the discipline stepladder and you're not going to be able to go. That's going to be a problem. So I say to all my eighth graders, listen. They're not kidding about this. And there's nothing you can do that I can save you from. Like, I can't, I, I won't be able to, like, you can just kind of think about what you do before you do it. That's all I'm saying. So one day there's this big, uh, big blow up at lunch. And on the playground, what, what we call playground or outside or whatever, these really two big, tall kids take a little kid, a kid that's a little smaller, and they're throwing him up in the air as high as they can. And catching him, I hope. And catching him. Oh, yeah. And at first I thought they were like, I, when you hear the story, you first go, were, were you picking on that? And they're like, no, no, we were all in it together, Miss Schrader. Because, of course, the administration comes in and pulls about six kids and they're all being disciplined. So they come in and I say, you guys, I can't, I can't save you from that. What'd you, what were you thinking? And they're like, you know, Miss Schrader, we were just all having fun. And, and everybody was a volunteer. And I said, well, yeah. I said, so at no time in your mind did it occur to you, this is not the smartest thing I could be doing. They're like, no, we just thought we were having fun. I said, mm -hmm. I said, so here's my question. Right before you threw the kid up, did you look around to see if there was an adult watching? And the young man said, yes. And I said, that's the voice you should listen to. That's the one that told you this is probably not a great idea and, he, and, and it was really funny because his name was Greg and well it still is Greg's adorable and Greg is also like six foot five or whatever and he was at the time too and he looks at me and he goes you're good at this <laughs> I said I just tell and of course what do I do I march into the office and I say they're just being kids 
you know, blah, 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 blah. Hurting. They, they weren't, weren't hurting anyone, although somebody could have got hurt, but it would have been right. And and that's what my principal's like, great, Tammy. And then I would have been calling 911 and the hospital and their parents. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. Nobody is saying that eighth graders are the smartest people on the planet. <laughs> Nobody is saying that. <laughs> but, but it was voluntary. Just, but they're just kids. Right. And, and, and they did know better. The fact that they looked around to make sure there was no adult watching. <laughs> that yeah, is they the knew. best question. I never would have thought of that. That's the question. And, 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 but they're not, they weren't being malicious. They weren't being mean. They weren't trying to hurt him. They weren't nobody. I mean, they, they were just going, Hey, how high do you think you can throw? <laughs> but that, that's a perfect question. That when, is the perfect when, question. Right before you started. Did you look around to see if there was an adult around? Yeah. I never would have thought of that, but that is the perfect indication of maybe I shouldn't do it. Right. Like, like, did they look to make sure you, you and your husband were busy? Because that's an indication that they knew they didn't want you to know. And if they don't want you to know, that's probably an indication they know. They, it's probably, it's not, probably not a good idea. Oh my gosh. You know, I think about that a lot in the, in the case of personal brand and how you're sharing information, how you're sharing images of yourself, how you're sharing. I always think if I was worried that my kids might see this, I shouldn't post it. Yeah. Not because they'll see it, which is entirely possible because they, you know, that kind of thing gets around, but more important, as soon as that question pops into my head, I mm -hmm. know better. Yeah. So I, I always encourage people, my clients, my coaching clients, people who are being interviewed, because I have a lot of clients that are um, in the job search or um, executives trying to learn to share stories more appropriately and better so that they can be more inspiring. And every time I'm like, okay, what about this story do you love? And what parts of it do you not want other people to necessarily know? Right. And if you don't want them to know it, maybe don't, don't do tell it the story or don't tell the story. Right. Maybe exactly. it's a private story. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe that's something yeah. you share with your wife or yeah. your, your kids later on because it's funny. But yeah. if it's not going to reflect well on you in in how people are perceiving you, that's yeah. something really important. How how do you want to be perceived by people? Yeah. So oh I love that. If if you hesitated to look for an adult, <laughs> you, you already but there's the tell, right? There's the and they, and the thing is, they know, they know, you know, but they need, but they're just figuring it out. Right. Mm -hmm. They're just figuring out like my, one of my favorites was when young, <clears throat> when young Cordell <laughs> took the class photo and flipped it off, flipped off the camera. And, and he comes to me and he goes, I was framed. <laughs> Literally. I said, yeah, well, I said, sweetheart, I saw the picture. Your hand is connected to your arm and I can follow it all the way up to you. And he goes, Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Cause they're kids. Right. Right. Cause and he's like, Oh yeah. And he said, what do you think I should do? I said, well, if it were me, I mean, I would offer to make, they're going to have to do something Photoshop the picture. I'm thinking there's no way parents are going to be okay with this. Yeah. with their kid in the photo they're get they're, it's going to cost them a certain amount of money to photoshop it maybe you should come up with some solution like you always go in with solutions because mm -hmm. then they're and like the apology oh and, a solution, and, and the right? apology and that hey you know what i screwed up and i said you know what you learned to do it at 13 because at 30 and 40 and 50 we're still doing it like i still have to look at people and say eh, that's my stuff i'm going to own it i'm sorry i screwed that up that was not well thought out and here's you know? an idea i have Here's, here's and here's how I think we can fix it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I want to come full circle to your um, your understanding of, of kids and being able to adapt and shift gears. Um, can you just, I'm going to include the link to your TEDx video so that people can watch it, our listeners who are curious now, which they will be hearing your voice and your warmth and your thoughtfulness. They'll want to watch the TEDx. Um, but can you tell the story, just the beginning of your TEDx about the boy, the, he was autistic, right? And he was having trouble mm -hmm. socially. So, mm -hmm. so tell us about that, because that was the beginning of your creating games to find solutions in the classroom. Yeah. Um, so 
I don't remember what I called him in the TEDx. I think I called him Robert uh, because I don't want to use his correct yeah, it name. Matter. Um, okay, well, so I'm going to call him Robert if that's okay. good with you. Yep. Um, so Robert comes to us, to me, in the science classroom. He's a seventh grader. And uh, two weeks before he comes, something traumatic happens that I really struggle to talk about because it's just, you know, anyway. Um, so he's already uh, he's on the spectrum and he's already like he's not he they mainstream him, but he really um and if you worked with kids that are on the spectrum of autism, they're fabulous. They're absolutely I mean, they're no different than any other kid. Um, they're just very literal usually. Um, but he was struggling. Um, so I put him in the classroom, he comes in, and I don't kids don't ever sit alone in my classroom. Like to me, we learn by collaborating and talking and sharing experiences and ideas and thoughts and whatever that looks like. And he just had a really hard time. He, um, if I put him next to somebody, like even colored pencils, and you can imagine my class is pretty interactive. So I've got beakers and flasks and thermometers and microscopes and I mean, pick something. And he, um, he couldn't even manage colored pencils. He would stab the person next to him. And he doesn't, oh. he just, what he was just struggling, right. you know. Right. And didn't know how to express himself. And didn't know way. how to manage that. Right. right? Um, he didn't have a malicious bone in his body. He's also extremely smart and an auditory learner. Like if you could even lecture for five minutes or 10 minutes, he could tell you exactly what you said. Wow. And he could process it and synthesize. He was very smart. Um, anyway, so he, he was struggling until I put him on a game called Cell Command. Where you're kind of like this astronaut on, on the spaceship and you go through. And this is a really high level game, meaning. Mm -hmm. The um, science curriculum coordinator came in and watched it. And she said, you know, my kids can't do this at high school. Mm. But it was really so it's really kind of an intense game. And it talks about mitochondria, but it not only talks about them, it explains how they all interact from a cell. And you're right. Your job was to get through the cell and to keep it alive. And he had absolutely no problem with this game, like none. Like he could keep this cell alive and kids all around him are struggling and right because they're trying to learn the information and manage the, the game. Um, by the way, they don't ever have they I never had a kid have a struggle managing the game like the game was always the easy part. It right. was it was the information. Right. But that's cool because I actually have a degree in that. So I could manage that. Um, but the cool thing was that now everybody wants to know how he leveled up. And how he did it. And it was really, really cute because they would come over and watch him. And pretty soon, I mean, like he's pretty soon the king of the classroom and he knows how to do it. And they would be asking him for help. And this is him. I loved his, he would get these facial expressions like, I just want to do my own stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you know what? They don't know how to do it and we're struggling. So can you go help him? And he's like, yeah. And he would, so he would kind of roll his eyes, but you could tell he was just fitting into this beautiful new um, classroom style that we were we were coming up with and he was at the center of the universe right he's the center and he's helping everybody and they're learning from him and they're and they're yelling at him from across the classroom about it and he's trying to explain it and then finally goes fine I'll come over and help you and so then he'd go help them and it just became this thing where he was fully included right mm. and not only was he included he was like the nucleus of the, like whole. the king right yeah he was he was running and it was great because that's how he learned in fact when I met his mother after soon after that, I said, what does he love to do? She goes, he plays video games all the time. And I said, oh, OK. And now and now I get it. Right. And, um, and that's not the only thing that's actually smart that will help right. learn. Right. But one of the cool things that would happen is like the next time that we would do something that was not a not a game because, you don't game based everything. Right. Um, he, he he would do better. He could. It was like he could. He was talking to people. He was um, they were collaborating more. Um, he could manage colored, you know, he could manage some other kinds of activities, you know, because we blended it all, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Wow. There are so many parts of that story that I love. And, um, the one thing that just always resonates with me in this kind of story is that everyone wants to have a purpose. Everyone wants a job. And I had this conversation with a mother of a 16-year-old twins at the very beginning of COVID when her boys were just struggling. One was loving it because he was just spending all day on the computer playing video games and using Discord so he could play with his friends. 
The other was sleeping through his days, clearly depressed, and she was struggling. And she said, well, my mom was always so strong, so I'm trying to really be strong for them. And I said, did you confide in your mom when you weren't feeling strong? She said, well, kind of. I said, you cried to her, right? She goes, yeah. I said, did you confide in her? And she's like, no, no, not really. I said, that's because she was so strong. And I said, your son, he needs a job. He needs to have some purpose. So tell him you're struggling and ask for help because then he's part of the solution. And then you can be part of his solution. Tell him that. And I remember the light kind of coming into her eyes as we talked about that because she could see the reason behind it. She could, she's very smart, very stoic, really, really smart person. And um, so I could see that that shift in thinking and perspective really helped. And um, my understanding is that she did do that with him. I didn't get a chance to follow up with her since then. But um, I heard through a mutual friend that that really did change things. And along with some of the ideas I had for activities like Iron Chef competitions between her boys, so that they could cook some meals. And then I gave them a book, I dropped off a book at their house called How to Read a French Fry. And it's all the science behind cooking. And they both love science. So they were practicing with different leavening agents. Uh, what's the difference between baking powder, and baking soda, um, all the different things about onions and how they caramelize and why you cry when you cut them. And so all the science behind certain kinds of foods and then ingredients and, and recipes in the book. Oh and my gosh. So, but I keep coming back to this idea that everyone wants to have some purpose. They want to be relevant. And when this boy, Robert, felt like he was relevant with his classmates, even if he was rolling his eyes and it felt like a burden sometimes, that burden was overcome by his sense of purpose and relevance. People needed him. People wanted to be near him. And even if it was just for that purpose, it shifted as they understood that he was there beyond the original idea that they needed help from. So I love that story on so many levels, and I'm so grateful that you shared it. Oh, well, thanks for asking about it. But um, yeah, and and I, of course, I have a million stories about kids and and trying to figure out, you know, who they are and and w- where they are and their place in this in the universe and whatever. Can I tell you one of my favorite stories? My very favorite. Yes, story, this will bring us full circle. Thank Perfect. you. So they build they build a new middle school, which I wasn't happy with. I liked my old building. I liked my old room. I liked oh, the fact no. well, because we could do anything with it. It was right. It's true. You didn't have to worry about, cared. Your first cared about the room. on the car. Yeah. And then they built the new building and everybody started caring mm-hmm. about them. because one of the things I asked for was anti-flammable tables, <laughs> which I didn't have in the old building. And of course, my principal said, can you please explain to me why you want anti-flammable tables? And I said, yeah, don't think you want to know. And he said, okay. So they bought them. <laughs> Of course. But I love this story about Maya. Maya comes in. So all the seventh graders come in, right? And most kids come in hating science, if you can believe that. But I ask them, and I always ask them, I say, don't take it personal. You can hate science. I just, because I love it, right? And they say, well, because it's about answering questions in the back of a book. And it's like, yeah, that's not science. That's That's not how I do science. It's not science. But okay, I get it now. Well, they come in, and this little girl, she's tiny little thing and she's sitting in the corner with her arms crossed and she's just glared at me and I'm like okay I said so here's the thing I need to know right away I said first day of school new building these are supposed to be anti-flammable tables I just need to make sure that they are could you just check that for me <laughs> and I loved it because every kid in the room looks at each other because they look at each other and they're like what, what did she just tell us to do did she and then one of them's like, do you want us to light our tables on fire? Do you want us to light the table on fire? I said, I think that's how you're going to have, if you can test it another way, go ahead. I don't, I don't, but test it. Cause I have to make sure. Cause we have to know it's going to drive the rest of the year. And so the kids, but I love it. Cause they always just, the first month they always come and go and what did she want? She wants us to do what? <laughs> so there's Maya, you know, anyway, but they all come up with an experiment and they're going to test it and they do. And it's hilarious. And they are so fun. And and it's time to go, you know, and I, I love it because the first the first weeks of class, I would always say, OK, time to go. I love you. Get out. And at first, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to me that you tell kids you love them. And all of a sudden, all of them look and they go, did she just say she loved like 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 what did she just? It's really funny. 
you get to the third week. And if you don't say it, it's like, Ms. Schrader, you can't let us go. You didn't tell us you love us. I'm like, oh, sorry. I love you. Go. (laughs) I mean, it was, it's just this dynamic and they're just so funny. Um, But, but my favorite thing was Maya. Maya Maya goes to leave the classroom. She walks right by me, right? Her arms are, and she looks at me and she says, I think this is going to be okay. And she (laughs) walks out the door and and I just, I just won. I just won. And they don't even know it. Tammy, that that is the best story. It is fun. Of all the stories you've told, I think this is going to be okay. I love that story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, we will, we'll talk again. We are definitely going to keep in touch. And for our listeners, um, are you on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. Okay. So for our listeners, um, just so you know, I will include a link to her TEDx, to Tammy Schrader's TEDx, um, Spokane from 2020 in the blog post associated with this podcast on elkinsconsulting.com. And I will also include her LinkedIn profile link so that you can follow her content and maybe connect and learn more and hear more of her fabulous stories. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Sarah. What a fun time. It is so nice to meet you. So nice. Thank you very much. Are you ready to start your story portfolio so you have the right story ready to share when the opportunity presents itself? When you're ready to get started, my book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, is available in all the regular places, and the audiobook version is available on Google Play and on my website, elkinsconsulting.com. As a special bonus for listeners, the audiobook includes two songs recorded by my band, Spare Change, in my living room in Montana. Also on my website is a free podcast interview checklist available to download to make sure you make the most out of your next podcast interview. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to rate the podcast and leave a review and let me know that you've done it so I can thank you properly. Thank you.